as we were singing a song about expectation and how we're waiting here for the Lord. You know, one of the things I think about when I think about church, you know the hardest thing about attending church or attending a place of worship is keeping it about Him. Isn't it? You know, when you start thinking about it, it's so hard to come into a, a place, and there's reasons why they call these places, like the, this room, a sanctuary. It's a, it's a place to check our problems at the door. No matter what's happening at home, no matter what's happening down the road, no matter what's happening at work, no matter what's happening at all, wherever, you leave it at the door and you walk into a sanctuary where now it's just about God. He's good even when it doesn't feel good. Right? That's what we talked about last week. Today, the sermon title is Burnout When a Good Thing is Not a God Thing. I really hope that all of you really tune in today, especially um, those who serve in any kind of capacity. As I've been working on this sermon for several weeks, it just wasn't ready. I still felt like last night when I was still working on it at 11 o'clock, I'm like, I still don't feel like it's ready. I got up this morning and I still didn't feel like it was ready, but it is. You've heard, you've heard that statement, um, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? You guys have all heard that. So I, so I began to think, well, does that statement apply to serving the Lord? Because most of us would immediately begin to say, no way. Serving the Lord could never become a bad thing. To which I would reply, unless it does. So we're sitting here, we're kind of in this moment of could serving God ever be bad? Could it ever be wrong? Could it ever be a bad thing? How could we say it? How could I ever say anything like that? So let me ask you a few questions. First question, why did you first start attending a church? Not Living Water, just any church. And, and I'm not talking about your childhood. You know, I remember when I had to go to church because my mama made me go to church, you know. And, and so I didn't have a choice in that. But there was a point in your life at some point that you made a choice to go. You chose to go. Now, your choice could have been I, I went because I wanted to make my wife happy or I wanted to make my spouse happy or I wanted to make my kids happy. But there was a point in your life somewhere where you made the choice yourself. One of the things that I'd like to kind of maybe draw out of that, but a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us started attending a church because we were searching for something. We were missing something in our life. Anybody remember that time where you went to church because you were actually looking for something? I need, I'm, I'm missing something in my life and I need, I need something else. I need something more. You were in need of a Savior, amen? And you found Him. So then my second question is, why did you give Jesus your heart? Why did you give your heart to Him? Because that's what salvation is, me giving my heart over to the Lord. Wasn't it because Jesus provided the cure that you so badly needed 
you realized there was something missing in your life, there was a problem in your life, and he was the cure. And so why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you, when Jesus offers the very thing that you needed? How many of you, when you went to church, some point in your life, you realized that you needed love? You needed to be loved. Anybody? You needed to be loved? How many of you needed grace? Right? How many of you showed up and you needed mercy? You needed somebody to have some mercy because of all the life decisions that you made. How many of you needed forgiveness? You see, you see, how many of you needed salvation? Well, see, the Lord agrees. <laughs> but see, when, when we, we, we had a reason, there was a reason we began to attend. There was a reason we showed up. I was looking for something. I was searching, and I found it. I found it in a man named Jesus. Everything I was looking for, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, salvation, redemption, everything that you could possibly look for, you can find it in Jesus. That's why we come. That's why we show up. That's why we worship. And why wouldn't you give your heart to Jesus if he gave you everything you ever needed? Amen, right? Isn't that why we gave our our hearts over? Because we were searching. Jesus offered what we were looking for. So we found the solution to our, our heart issues. And then all of a sudden, we now have it. Don't I want to give back? And then the last question is this. Why then did you first start serving? Now, some of you sitting here might say, I haven't started that part of the process. That's okay. We'll get there. Some of you sitting in here saying, well, I haven't started that part yet. I'm just the... Maybe you're, you're in, the, in the, well, I'll get there in a little bit, but I'll get ahead of myself. Wasn't it because he already gave you everything and you just wanted to give back? I remember when I first wanted to serve, and I didn't even care what it was. You know, like, I remember because of what God had done in my heart, how badly I just wanted to give back. The change that he began to make. I mean, how many of you have really felt a change in your life because of God? And then you, 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 because of that change that's happening in your life, you wanted to do something. You wanted to give back. When, when God does something for you, it's kind of like, you want to. I want to. And nobody made me. I wanted to. Isn't that why we start serving? Isn't that why? And then all of a sudden, I remember, and it's so neat as a pastor, I watch people, and I, I watch them as they go through this progression. Um, let me just skip to that. I'll just put it on there because I'm going to keep talking about it anyways. There's this, this spiritual progression. You go from searching, right? And I watch people as they're searching, and you know they're in the searching pattern. They're like, I need something in my life. My life isn't working. I'm searching. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, okay, is it going to be this week? It's going to be in this moment. When is the moment that they're going to find what they've been looking for? Because I know Jesus is the answer. I already know the answer. I, I've been watching this for years, and it's so amazing to watch somebody, and then all of a sudden, they, they, they find it. They found what they were looking for, and to watch the excitement, and then to begin to watch the change as they trust and give themselves over. And you just watch it. It's like a little at a time, and it's just like the giving process can be a long time. There's people that take years giving their whole life over. You hear, you hear a, pre, a lot of preachers talking about surrendering all, right? We even sing a song about surrendering all. Do you know how hard surrendering all is? Because it's all, right? I mean, 
You know, I thought surrender, it's easy to preach on, I'm going to tell you, it's really easy to preach on surrendering all. Right, James? I mean, it's easy. It's easy to preach on, on surrendering all until your kid's sick and you have to surrender your kid. Until you realize as a parent that my children are not even my children. They're his first. They were his before they ever were mine. So guess what? I have to, if I'm going to surrender all, I'm surrendering my children into the hands of God. That's a part of surrendering all. That's, that's not easy, especially when they're sick. Because you want to control everything. But guess what? I don't have any power. I don't have any control. See, I remember that as I began, the more and more of my heart that I gave to Jesus, the more I wanted to serve Him. And it's not saying that some people have surrendered quite a bit and they're not there ready yet, but I'm just wanting you to see that this is kind of a natural progression that you're going to find in your life. You're going to be searching you're going to find, and then when you find, you're going to start giving your heart, not giving just financial. I'm just talking about like giving of yourself. And as you give yourself to the Lord, you then begin to want to serve Him. It's pretty neat. Every one of you is in some part here. You actually may be at zero. There are some people who attend not searching for anything. Okay? So there is a zero. But I didn't put it on there. So, most people get stuck in the giving stage. We get stuck there. Giving God a little piece. I, I, I'm going to trust you with this little aspect. And God, I'm going to give you a little bit more. And, and, and we take years, years giving more and more and more. I like to look at your house, your, your life like a house. And, and, and it's kind of like a lot of times when people say, okay, God, um, I know that you're the answer. I know that you're all powerful. I know that you're all knowing. I know that you're in complete control. I know that you're sovereign. I know all these things. Don't know that I buy into all of it right now because of my actions, but I know it. And so you can come into my house and you can stay in the guest bedroom, but uh, the attic, that's off limits. That's my stuff. My personal stuff. Don't be in there. Don't come into my bedroom. I don't want you to know what I'm doing in my bedroom. And you, you're not allowed to come into the basement. Now, you know, we're going to have a family night. It's going to be really cool. We're going to show up. on. We're going to go to church on Sunday. It's going to be real fun. You know, but that's those, those are the parameters. You can sometimes have dinner with us, but sometimes not. You know, and so what we do is we kind of have a, a guideline of a bunch of boundaries and rules that God can have as we open up the doors to our house. Right? If somebody, if you, if you let a guest into your house... You're not letting them go through your file cabinet. You're not letting them in your office. You're not letting them in the bedroom. That's my bedroom. Get out of my room. Get out of here, monkey, right? I mean, that's kind of how we, we operate our lives. Well, that's kind of some ways how we treat the Lord too. God, you can come into my life, but under certain pretenses here. You can make some changes, but not everything. So what we do is we go through a long series of life where we're just Chip, God's chipping away at us and we're just giving little pieces of our heart and one day the goal is to hopefully I'll surrender all. Because when I surrender all, then I'm really going to want to serve all. And kind of serving, if you think about it, it's kind of the, the pinnacle peak of what you're looking for. You see in a lot of churches where they talk about how 10% do 90% of the work and everybody always jokes and laughs, but it's true. A very small percentage does the majority of the things because a lot of people are still stuck and do I want to give the Lord everything that I am? Do I want to give Him extra time? Do I want to miss out on service? Do I want to miss out on, you know, my time, you know, visiting? And, and, and do, I, do I want to go to a Sunday? Do I want to get up earlier? And, and, and it's all about surrendering, right? Do I want to surrender and give up that time? Do I want to give up more? And so to, to reach that pinnacle part, part of serving, which is kind of the goal 
how could that ever be a bad thing when you get people finally there? How could it ever be bad if you've worked so hard in helping people walk through all these steps of giving all their life, and then all of a sudden they surrendered their whole heart, now they're serving, how could that ever become a bad thing? What happens when a worship minister no longer singing for the glory of God, but for the praise of man? It happens every day. What happens when a preacher is no, standing, no longer standing on the truth because he's really caught up in, in tickling everybody's ears and making sure that everybody's happy in the congregation? A preacher can get a church to, to uh, you know, if we start running into a seating issue, a preacher pretty quickly could, could ruffle enough feathers to create a lot of extra seats. You know truth has a habit of doing that. But then you also find, I find the same thing, is, is you know, the truth can run people off just as quickly as draws people to it because a lot of people are really just, they want the truth. Don't color code it, just give it to me. What happens when anyone who serves the Lord has forgotten the why? Hear me, the why that they began to do it anyways. What happens when they begin serving the Lord and they're just busy serving and serving and serving and serving and serving and then one day they wake up and they don't even know why they're doing it. Why am I doing this? Why am I always serving? Why am I always busy working at the church? Why, why, why? When you forget the why, that's when it becomes the bad thing because what's it's saying is this. What happens is you'll eventually burn out. I've watched so many people burn out. So... Let's go there. Burnout. Okay. I want you to, to see this candle here for a minute. So when we start thinking about burnout, I want you to think about the word itself, burn out. So the easiest way that I, could, I thought about explaining that is to show you this candle. Now, this candle, hopefully that doesn't fall and break, but this candle can burn out. Do you know how it burns out? Now, it's not going to do it probably within this service, but this candle, oh, don't fall over and catch the stage on fire. They would frown upon that. There we go. We'll sit right there. Now, the only way that that can happen, that that thing's going to burn out, is when it has completely given all that it has, and it has nothing left. Think about it. When that candle burns and it just gets smaller and smaller as it goes because what is it doing it's giving of itself so the more if as long as it's giving of itself it eventually will burn out see the question that i kept coming up is why in the world do some people burn out and others not why did the disciples i when i was i was struggling finding scripture for this i said i can't find anybody that burned out in the bible Oh, come on now. I couldn't find anyone. The 12 disciples didn't burn out. Paul, who was constantly serving the Lord, he was constantly thrown into jail. He was beaten publicly. His, he was in two shipwrecks. He was bitten by a snake and everybody was waiting for him to die. Jared would have already died. <laughs> Just seeing the snake, you would have died. Here's the thing is that you read all, you read down through the book of Acts and you see how much of these guys, they gave everything they had and they didn't burn out. 
And now we look around and we burn out all the time. So maybe there's something that the disciples knew or did that we're not. So that's where we're going to go. And that's what we're going to look at. You can burn out of anything. Listen to me. You can burn out of anything. So I know I'm talking a lot to, to people who serve within the church because I hear, I see all kinds. I, 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 there's, they, they do all kinds of conferences to help leaders not burn out. <laughs> Seriously, all kinds of conferences. We're constantly trying to help people. Don't burn out. Don't burn out. Don't burn out. Don't, don't do too many things in the church or you might burn out. I mean, we're, we, we, I remember making a rule among leaders. I made a whole bunch of leaders mad at one time. You can only serve in one area because I wanted to keep people from burning out because we don't really know a lot about burning out. We just know that it happens, and it seems to happen all the time. You can burn out of your marriage. You can burn out of family, parenting, ministry. You can burn out of your career. You can give everything that you have. You just keep giving and giving and giving and you gave everything that you have until you have nothing left to give and then you've burned out. You have nothing left. Have any of you ever in your life, in any area, whether family, career, church, serving, whatever, has anybody ever said, I, I don't have nothing? Have you ever said that? I don't have nothing left to give. How many of you have said that? I don't have nothing. I don't have anything left. I don't have, I've given everything that I am. The problem is, is you're given the wrong thing. That's the problem. You've been giving yourself. And you're limited. I'm limited. I read several articles uh, in getting ready for today and uh, I started looking at all these different articles, and they gave all these different reasons. And, and I specifically looked for pastors and why pastors, because here's the thing. For most, most people who are a pastor, they've surrendered to a very distinct call. There was a moment in their life God called them to the ministry, and there was no doubt in their mind. You knew that God was calling you out. And you were going to be a fisher of men. You didn't know what it looked like, but you knew what you were. You knew God had called you specifically by name to do something. I remember the day. I remember exactly everything about it. I remember my dorm room. I don't remember much about my dorm room, but I remember that night. I remember everything about that moment of what happened leading all the way up. I remember God calling me. And I never doubted it because I knew it. So I was like, I want to see why pastors who knew that they were called by God would walk away from their calling. So here's the top eight reasons why pastors quit the ministry. And let me prelude this by this. There are 1,500 ministers leave their ministries each month in the U.S. Every single month, 15 pastors say, I can't do this anymore, I'm done. 1,500 Every single month, walk away from the calling when God says, come follow me. They're like, I've given everything that I have, and I don't have nothing else to give. Walking away, 1,500. 80% of pastors and 85% of their wives are discouraged, and 40% of them say they are suffering from burnout. 40% of pastors, 40% of the, the pastor's wives of the population say they are suffering from burnout. They don't have nothing left to give their congregations. 
and they give their reasons. Extreme exhaustion. Pastor Paul, is that a, is that a thing? It's a thing. Extreme exhaustion. Crazy schedules. I know that most people prelude. Daniel, I know you're busy. Please don't. Everybody's busy. Not just a pastor. Every, is there anybody here not busy? Because if you're not, show up Tuesday. We're going to work on the floor. Okay, if you're not busy, Tuesday I can make you busy. I mean, seriously, right? I mean, come on. We're all busy. But that's the crazy schedules, underpaid and undervalued. Yep, check that off. I remember when I first started pastoring, I made 140 bucks a week. $140 a week. I remember that was the first. And they were like, well, you're bivocational. Like, yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> I might be able to pay for my gas. Now I'd only get one gas, you know, one tank maybe of gas now. But, but you know, I remember when, when I did that and I was working two. See, I was working, uh, I was working as a personal trainer at Gold's Gym full-time. And I was driving a school bus and I was planting a brand new church. We were doing outreach two or three nights a week. I didn't know there was anything different to do. That's a crazy schedule. That's busy. Underpaid. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't do it because I was paid. When somebody only wants to serve God because they think they're going to get something monetary value for it, they're doing it for the wrong reasons to begin with. When a church says, hey, we want to free our pastor up to not have to do the two full-time jobs on the side so that they can focus on ministry, then that's a blessing from the church given to the pastor. Impossible expectations. Been there, done that. I remember a, a deacon actually said, well, you're responsible for the growth of the church. And I said, hello, sir, I am not God. The Bible says God is the giver of the increase, sir. I am not him. Okay? Number five, that there was no real life outside the church. They had no real friends. You do have friends, but it's different. You know, because as a pastor, you can't let every, you're not supposed to let church members in. Because if they get mad at you, then they know all the stuff that you're mad at. And when you complain about complainers, and you have to share that complaint with somebody else, then all of a sudden, everybody knows that you're complaining about them. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, okay, I can't even have friends. You know, I mean, it, there's, the pastors get to a point where they're like, it's, it's just, a, just weird navigating life. But it's not a normal. But that, I... I was okay. I was never normal to begin with. So I'm like, all right. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a normal life. Every, you're, you live in a glass house. Everybody knows just about everything that you do and whether they approve of it or not. You know, everybody's watching you, waiting for you to either succeed, mess up, or, or something. See what happens, you know? So you, you live in a glass house. But, okay, but that's the number, number fifth reason. Number six, negativity from people. Pastors just can't handle people anymore. Does in, is, is negativity and issues only in the church, or do you guys deal with that at work? Does anybody deal with negative people at work? Everywhere. everywhere. Is it everywhere? It's everywhere. So if you quit the church and you start working at McDonald's, you're going to start having drama llama there. I mean, the drama llama's everywhere, right? And if you keep finding conflict all around you, you might be you. You know, I'm just saying. They say they don't feel adequately equipped for the tax expected of them. Yeah. 
I remember getting out of college and I'm ready to pastor and I walked in, I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Guess what? I still don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm going to be, I mean, it's already live. So I mean, the honest truth, I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm just like, Lord, what are we doing today? Sounds good. Let's go with that. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not good at uh, administration. I'm lucky to have a lot of people who are, but the thing is, I, there's so many things that, that I'm not good at, and I don't have to be. God didn't ask me to be. He asked me to be faithful. He asked me to give my life to Him, and to follow Him, and to serve Him. That's what He asked, and so I did, and I just leave the rest to Him. Serving in the wrong ministry, I love this. People say all the time, well, I'm burned out because I'm not called to children. You have children, you're called to children. I'm, I want to say that all the time. I'm not called to children. Well, come, can, hey, Pastor Dan, can you come by and pick up your children? I'm not called to that. I've, I got a dollar for every time somebody says, well, I'm not called to that. I wasn't called for cleaning the toilets, but that was my first thing that I did when nobody else cleaned them. I swept the floor. There's not a job in this church that I haven't done. Pastor Paul hasn't done. Mike and Zeb haven't done. Here's the reality is that when you're a pastor, you're called to serve. You're called to teach. And what happens is we get so caught up, I'm not called to children. Well, that might be the need right now. Well, if I start helping with the children, I'll burn out. Okay. All right. Seriously right? If you've had a child in your life, men, I know you haven't had them, but you, you helped in the process, and now you are the father, right? You're called to kids, you know? If you're a grandparent, you're called to kids. And if you start thinking about it, you know what? What could be more important in any church than making sure that the children are raised right in the Word of God? I get so tired of people. I'm not called to that. You're called to follow Jesus, and Jesus washed people's feet. Come on now. He did the worst job in the slavery job. You know, the worst person's job was washing feet. You're like, well, it's not that bad. When you wore sandals down the road, you know who all traveled the road? Camels. Camels traveled the road. Donkeys traveled the road. And, and I know that our exhaust systems in our cars kind of go up, but the exhaust of the traveling um, vehicles of that day, the exhaust went down. <laughs> and you're walking in sandals, and you're walking on poo. Lots and lots of poo. So when you go to somebody's house, you know what smells pretty bad? Your feet. And you know what the, 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 the lowest slave in the house, you know what his job was? To wash the feet. And you walk in, take your sandals off because they're gross, and then you sit down, and the lowest servant in the house kneels down and washes the poo off of your feet, dries your feet, and lets you go on in. Jesus did that. I just don't know that I buy into the whole burnout thing anymore after this week. I've talked about it so many different times in my life, but I just don't know that I get it anymore after this week, and I'm going to show you why, and I'm hoping to change your minds about it as well. So if you're going to take any notes, this is the slide you're going to want. So that's your cue to pull out the pen. 
Now, some of you are really clever, technology, and you're like, get the phones out, and you're like, zoom in. That was my note-taking. I've seen it. It was pretty cool. All right, so here we go. Listen to this. This is, this is it right here. If I have given all that I am to Christ, then I have nothing to give, for I've already given it. How do you burn out if you've already given it all up? Come on. That's all? That's all we got? Thank you, guys. Thank you. You guys are a really good crowd. Come on. If you have given the whole part, remember, you're searching you found, and now you're in a process of giving your life to Jesus. When you've given him all of your life, you've already given it, so how can you burn out of it? You've already given it. You don't have it left to give. It's already gone. I already gave it to Jesus, so if he wants to use me up and use me up, I'm all his. He's all mine. That's how this works. You following now? We, we tracking? All right, all right. Second statement. If I have given all that I am to Christ, then what is it that I'm actually giving? If it's not me and I'm not giving me, then who am I giving? We already know the answer. One, two, three. Oh, wow. All right, we're going to start the sermon over. I'm going to go to the first slide. We're going we're gonna to try to pick up on this. Okay, come on, guys. We, we know it's Jesus, right? I'm going to give you the answer now. All right, so if it's not me that I'm giving, who is it? One, two, three. Jesus. Wow, guys. Woo, all right. The kids are louder than that. Come on now. All right. Third slide we need to write down. Hold on, okay. All right, I'm going too fast. I'm just going to let this one sink in. All right. I mean, think about this, though. This is, this is really good. If I have given everything that I have to the Lord, it's all His. I've given it up. I've surrendered myself, right? So then now, the second statement, if I've now given all that I am to Christ, then what is it I'm actually giving? We know the answer is Jesus, but look at this. So I'm actually giving what I have received. Hmm? I'm actually giving what I've received, so it's not even mine. How in the world do we get so caught up in burning out all the time when I'm just giving what I've received? What have I received? What have you received? You received Jesus, so we're giving a lot of Jesus. I'm receiving Jesus, and I'm giving Jesus. Receiving and giving. Now, it's not even mine, so it didn't come from me, the thing that I am giving. Now, what if what I'm giving is unlimited? You now answer the question to me, how does one burn out if the thing that they're giving, if this candle is unlimited in wax and wick, how does it burn out? It doesn't because it's unlimited. See, I'm a funnel. Be the funnel. Funnel cake's good. Be the funnel cake. Oh, that's really, that sounds good. Funnel cake. Funnel cake. All right. So how do I burn out of something with an endless supply, right? God is the great sustainer. Now check this out. Psalm 51, 10 through 12, created me a pure heart. O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Here's what David, after he had gotten in a lot of trouble, after he'd made a lot of mistakes in his life, comes to God. He writes this psalm and he says, God, 
Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Have you ever thought of God as the great sustainer of your life? Maybe we should. Psalm 54, 4, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Who sustains you? God. He sustains you. How do you burn out if God is your great sustainer? Oh, we don't have a reason, right? Okay. 5522, Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So there's the question. If God is my great sustainer, how do I burn out? I'm going to answer how you burn out. So I don't have a slide for it. I'm just going to tell you how it works. You burn out when you are giving yourself. That's how it, it's... It happens all the time. That's why whenever you see burnout, it's because we are burning out of ourselves. I'm, I'm serving in my own strength. I'm serving in my own ability, in my own understanding. I'm serving and giving in my own love. Huh? Even my, my love is limited. My wisdom is limited. My understanding is limited. My strength is limited. Everything about me is limited. I'm not the unlimited edition. I'm the limited edition. All right? I'm the edition that you have to crank down manually the window to go down. All right? God, He's the unlimited version, right? So that's what you have to begin to understand is that you burn out when you stopped giving of Him and you began to give of yourself. When you begin to give of yourself, you will run out. You will get to the point of saying, I have given you all that I have. You will find yourself in your marriage when God is not the sustainer of your marriage. You'll wake up one day and say, honey, I've given you all that I have and I have nothing left for you. Because God is not the sustainer in the middle of your marriage. When God is not the sustainer, when He's not the one who's sustaining you and holding you, and when you're not operating in His love, his mercy, His grace. Come on now. When we give and give and give, and let's be honest, haven't we been there? Haven't we? I remember there was a time when my wife and I were in a very bad place. And I even had told her, and it was not that long, long ago. And I said, Barbara, I can't do this anymore. And I've never said anything like that before, ever. And I said, I think I need to resign from the church. I don't think I can, I know that I can't be a pastor when my house is in such a disarray. And she looked at me and she said, no, we're not doing that going to counseling and didn't want to go I mean who wants to go to counseling it always sounds so terrible that's why we keep calling it different things hey you want to go see the life coach 
Okay, I'm going to go see the life coach. That's a great name, Jared. I love it. It's great because people don't like the word counselor. And you know the hardest thing about counseling is when they start telling you the things that you need to change and you don't want to change it. Right? Men are afraid of going because they're afraid their woman's going to be right. Just get over it. She is, okay? The quicker you get on board. No. I mean, when we went, they confronted both of us. There was things that we both had to work on. If we didn't work on it, it wasn't going to happen. But you know what? Bottom line, I loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. We weren't loving the Lord together. Until God became the great sustainer. And what we needed him to be right there in the middle, it wasn't going to work. So I've watched this over and over in church. Let me come back to the church setting. When people serve the Lord, I remember watching people when they get excited about God. I, it's my favorite stage. Excited. Let's go. Let's go. And I, I mean, I remember <laughs> Jared. He's a perfect example. If you know Jared, and like... Jared, when he got like pulled out of the baptismal, you know, and he's like, all right, let's go, you know, like, what are we going to do? I'm like, okay, Jared, slow down. No, okay, well, let's go, Jared, you know, and so, I mean, I, I love that. There's this energy. I want to go. I want to go, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, your ministry needs help. I'm in. Hey, you guys need help. I'm there. Hey, you need help in the nursery? I don't care. Daddy daycare. Here we go, you know, I mean, and what happens is we get all excited. Jared, I already got you signed up for everything, Jared. You're already in, so don't even worry about it. I got so excited about the sermon, and I put Jared's name in it, and I'm like, I already got you signed up for everything. And so we sign up for everything. Come on, right? We get excited. We're signed up for everything. We're helping see our children program. We're holding babies in the nursery. We're ready to go, right? I've watched this over and over and over. Then all of a sudden, guess what? We don't have any time for ever taking a Sunday school class. We don't ever have time for a Wednesday night study. We never have time to even sit in a worship service. And so what happens is we get to these points where we're serving in every corner of the place and there's so many needs. We, you're never going to fill them all, guys. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. And it's never meant to happen that way. And I've watched people and they give and they give and they give. Now listen, this is what happens. We fill our lives doing so many good things. Huh? We fill our schedule with good things. Volunteering for this, volunteering for that. I'm not trying to talk you out of volunteering. I am going to be at the back and we're going to sign you all up for nursery. And we start serving and serving and serving and serving and then we begin to miss. We serve and do so many good things. We begin to miss the God thing. We're doing so many good things, we begin to miss out on the God things. That's what burnout is. We're chasing after good things. So I want to tell you, I want to be a God chaser. And all the good things along chasing after God is going to happen. It does. Somebody says, I need help. I'm there, man. Hey, okay, yeah, let's go. You need help? Let's go. They need help over here. Let's go. I'm not telling you not to do that. What I am telling you is this. When I stop chasing God and I begin to chase after everything that I can do, I become distant from what's most important. I get distance from the God things. 
and what the God things are. And the most important part of the God things is your relationship with God. You hear me? The most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. My relationship with God is more important than my wife. She's in the children's church. She did not hear that. So, and all my, you know, but, but it's true, and she knows that it's true. I love my wife. I would die for my wife. I'd die for my kids, but here's the reality. God is number one. He is the most important priority, everything of my life. He's number one, period, period. So I want us to kind of go through what we're going to do, and this is pretty quick. We're going to go through this pretty quick, um, and we got plenty of time. I mean, it's only eleven thirty-seven, so I mean, we're doing great. Um, but I want us to take a quick because I couldn't find any examples in the Bible of disciples burning out. So I only can use the disciples as an example of what they did to keep from burning out. Does that sound okay? We're going to figure out how to not burn out. Okay. So number one, number one. They were called to follow Jesus. Every one of you is called to follow Jesus. Every one of us in the same room have the same exact calling. We are all called to follow Jesus. Amen? We all share that. We're all called to follow him. In every one of our lives, there's been a point in in your life where Jesus was calling you out to follow him. Come follow me. Some of you jumped out of the boat. Left the fish out there, left the boat out there. I don't care about any of it. And you chased after. Some of you stayed in the boat a little longer. But every one of us was called. Matthew 4.19. Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make fishers of men. He's constantly calling you to follow him. That's what we are called. We are called as believers to follow Jesus. Matthew 8.22. Jesus said to them, follow me. Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus passed by Matthew, the tax collector, he says, follow me. Follow me, follow me, follow me. That's what Jesus is calling. He's called, follow him. You see, they didn't follow Jesus just on Sabbath day. See, the problem with American Christians is we just want to follow Jesus on Sunday. They didn't just follow him to the Sabbath and then say, hey, we'll see you here next Saturday. They followed him every day. Every minute of the day, Jesus was their life. See, I'm to follow Jesus on Sunday and Monday too. And the same way that you want to follow Him today is the same way you should follow Him tomorrow and the next. The second thing that we're going to see is that they spent time with Jesus. They spent time with him. So what, over 50 times in the Bible, it was like at that time, they. So he's, you know, over and over and over, over 50 times throughout the, just the Gospels, it was describing, you know, at this time, the disciples and Jesus did this. And from that time, they did this. And from then and then. And over and over and over, there's this constant theme going through the whole Gospels. The disciples are with Jesus, spending time with Jesus. The greatest disciples are not made in a classroom. They're made as you go. Hey, you want to come with me onto this visit? Hey, you want to come with me? I'm going over here. Do you want to come with me to this conference? Do you want to come with me? When you invite people into your life and you do life together, you make a lot more disciples than in a classroom setting. What were they doing? They were being discipled. The Greek word for disciple is methetes. It literally means student or pupil. 
Matthew 10, 24. I like this. It's a good one. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their... So the disciples were trying to figure out how to be more like Jesus. Your job in following Jesus and as you spend more time in the morning with Jesus and at noon with Jesus and at night with Jesus and when you get up the next morning, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you're figuring out how to be like Jesus. That's it. A student is not, you're not above him, you're trying to figure out how to be like him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My question to you is this, how much time are you spending with Jesus? A lot of times what happens is the busyness of our life, God gets less and less and less of our time. In fact, a lot of times we're so tired because of the exhaustion of the busyness of our life when we should be getting up and giving him the best of our day, the first, the best and the first, we're often saying, oh man, I'm too tired, I can't get out of bed. And then what we try to do is figure out how to give God our leftover time at the end of the day. And I'm not saying that you keep, it's bad to do devotions at the end of the day, but I'm saying, is, is God getting the best of your first? Is he getting the best of you? Or is he getting leftovers of you? Are you saying, God, you're the most important thing in your life, so I am going to dedicate time to you. I want to meet with you. I want to spend time with you. Or I'm too busy. If you're too busy, then cut something out and not God. But God seems to be the first thing we cut out of our lives. He used, that's all we do. We, we go back and forth and we come back. We say, okay, I don't have time for you, God. I don't have time. So you cut God out of our life. He's the great sustainer. It's amazing how we find time. We tell our kids all the time, extracurricular activities are extra. They're not my life. Extra is extra. Sometimes we don't have time for extra. Sometimes the extra becomes not extra. It's just a part of the life. And then all of a sudden you don't have time, don't have time, don't have time. The best quote that I've read and I'm still trying to figure it out is to ruthlessly eliminate the hurry. I read a book that that was like in the introduction of it two years ago, and I memorized that because I'm still trying. I'm going to write a book when I figure out how to do this. Ruthlessly eliminate the hurry. So often, God gets our leftovers and not our best. And if God's not getting my best, and I'm just kind of giving Him whatever's left over, which is not even enough to sustain, then how do I anticipate that's going to be translate into any serving that I'm doing. If Cheyenne does not spend time with the Lord, then she only is offering a song. If I'm only 
if I don't have time to spend with the Lord, I'm giving you an opinion. The best thing any minister could ever give you, leaders, write it down. The best thing that any leader in any church of any ministry can give you is to let you know they've spent time with the Lord. If they have spent time with the Lord, that will always be enough to sustain whatever you need. But if I'm only giving God my leftovers, then I only have leftovers to give. Number three, they were sent out by Jesus. So the first thing is they followed. Then they spent time with him. And after they've followed and spent time with him, then Jesus sends them out. In Matthew 10, the 12 were sent out. He sent them out. But here's the thing is they didn't stay out. Look what it says. And as you go, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Listen to this. Listen, underline it. Freely you have received and freely give. If you are serving out of your own strength, you're missing the mark because Jesus has freely given to you himself and in ministry you freely give him. That's what you do. You freely received and now you freely give. That's what ministry should look like. What's so amazing is that they, they, they returned even. So not only did he send them out, but they also returned. In, in Luke, it talks about how in Luke 9, it says when the apostles returned. You see, a lot of times when we start serving and we start ministering, we never return to Christ. We just keep going and going and going and going and we think we're the Energizer Bunny. And one day we wake up and we say, I have nothing left to give. I have nothing left. The disciples returned they went out preached the word healed the sick cleansed the lepers drove out and cast out the demons and then they returned to the lord all in a day's work i need to go out i need to be sent and i need to return i need to be sent and i need to return they returned and they reported everything that had happened to all the things that they had done In Luke 10, the very next chapter, Jesus sends out 72 to go with joy. They returned in verse 17 of chapter 10. 72 returned with joy. And they said, even the demons submit to us. And he says, I love this, the very last part, he says this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know what's more important than your ability in serving and your ability in ministry and your ability to, to give and to minister? is that your name, the best thing in the entire world is that your name's written in heaven. When we forget that, our ministry is probably not worth a lot. In conclusion, yeah, yeah. Why doesn't it seem to work, right? Why doesn't this, we, we see this really clear 
thing. They, they followed Jesus, they spent time with Jesus, then they were sent by Jesus, and then they returned to Jesus. So when you start thinking of a day, I, want to get, I like to get up, spend my time with the Lord, uh, following Him, spending time with Him, and then, I, and then I, I look at my whole day as wherever I'm going, I'm going in the Lord. I'm being sent wherever I'm going, I'm being sent. If I'm going to work, I'm, go, I'm being sent to work. If I'm going to go with a sheep, they're going to hear a sermon, poor things. And then, you know, whatever's going to happen, I'm being sent, but at the end of the day, I'm returning into the Lord. I'm going to be, so I look at this as like a daily cycle every day, right? Now, why doesn't it seem to work? And I'm going to tell you because we're sick. Because we have spiritual eating disorders. Yes, I, using eating disorders to illustrate a spiritual point. And the reason why is because Peter, when he was reinstated, Jesus said to him, go feed my sheep. So he was illustrating that we're a bunch of sheep and that he's to feed us. His feeding was the teaching of the word, so that would mean that the eating, if he's feeding and feeding means teaching, then eating would mean that I'm taking in the word. So one of the easiest ways that I found to look at this is to show us our eating disorders in the church and using that to illustrate what our problem is with the word of God. You guys ready? Okay, good. I like that. First one, spiritual gluttony. Spiritual gluttony. This is probably one of the ones that I see most prevalent in the church. One of them. We eat and 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 eat. Hey, when's the next study? When's the next study? When's the next study? They sign up for every single study. I'm in every time that there's a study, every time there's something going on, I want to eat. You just keep giving me and giving me and giving me and giving me. I'm not exercising what I'm getting. I'm just eating it. Here's the thing is the disciples were to learn something and then they were to do something. Learn, do, learn, do, learn, do. But we have a lot of people in church that just learn, 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 learn. And in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews also said, shouldn't you by now be teachers? In other words, haven't you learned enough to start teaching? Haven't you learned enough to start giving back? Haven't you started getting? And I don't think that you should sacrifice everything. I think there should be balance. Maybe you should go to a Sunday school class, but then serve on Wednesday nights. Or maybe you should go to a Bible study on a Wednesday night and then serve on a Sunday morning. You shouldn't have to do it all, but you should, have to, you should be doing some part of that. I should, be trans, I should be growing enough, but see, spiritual gluttony is a thing. We just eat and eat and eat and eat. I want more and more and more. And what happens with gluttony is we get fat, we gain weight, we get lethargic, we lose our endurance. All the same things that happen in the physical realm are happening in the spiritual realm. We get lazy. Number two, spiritual anorexia. We don't eat. We don't get involved in any Bible studies because we are too busy exercising we're too busy going and we're serving we put everything we are into serving and serving 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 and i don't ever go to any kind of nourishment have you you guys those are the two things that i see the most amen any leader in the house should know those are the ones that you see the most people who are always eating and those who never eat right you're either overeating or never eating both are a problem And the other one that I see, spiritual bulimia. 
when we binge eat everything offered and then we discard it just as fast as we ate it. We want to get rid of it. Well, not that we want to get rid of it. We just don't retain any of it. It's kind of like going to a Bible study and applying nothing that you've learned. Well, what good was that Bible study? If, I don't, if I'm not applying what I'm learning, then what good was that? It was a waste of your time, just to be honest. If I'm not applying, if I'm not looking, like, how do I take this? So you may sit here today, and you're like, well, I don't serve in church at all. There's something, I guarantee there's something in this sermon that you could have gotten. Everyone, if you come hungry, you'll be fed. Maybe not everything, but there is something here. There's always something if you're hungry. And what I find with the spiritual bulimia is that I, I look at that and I see a lot of people who go to church, get excited about the church real quick, and then you never see them in church again. Just as quick, just as quick, in and out, in and out. No lasting life change. So, so where do we go from here? One of the things that I wanted to, to, to make sure that we accomplished today was to know the difference between a good thing and a God thing. You can be so busy doing good things throughout the whole world that you've lost sight of the God thing. And I'm telling you this, the God thing is your relationship with Jesus. That's the biggest God thing you'll ever have. If there's anything to accomplish from today, is to make sure that you are taking time, spending time with the Lord every single day. So if you would bow your heads... Close your eyes. I ask you, where do we go from here? Some of you I know for a fact right now have given everything that you have and you're wore out. I know that a lot of you sitting in this very room right now are at that point saying, I have nothing left to give. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your job. I don't know, but some of you sitting in here in this room right this moment are at that breaking, melting point of I have nothing left. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Who is that? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you feel like you're pretty close? I may not be there yet, but I feel like I am running on fumes. So what I'm here to say is that God is your sustainer. Today you need to make a change in your life. You need to make a change right here, right now, and the change is this. Stop giving of yourself and allow God to flow through you. Allow Him to sustain you. Stop trying to do everything yourself. Let God be the sustainer. So right now, if you feel like you have nothing left to give, I want to encourage you to come to the altar, and I want you to lay it down. God, I'm done. I'm done trying to give myself. I can't do it. I'm done trying to do this by myself.
There was a lot more than one that raised their hand a couple of minutes ago. Come on now, don't be scared. Today's the day. Let's put it down. Let's put this down. Say, I am so tired of being tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't have anything left to give. Let's be honest. Let's start there. I am tired. God, I need you to sustain me. I need you to fill me. I need you to take over. That's what we really need. God, I need you to take over. I need you to take over. As we give over this part of our life that maybe this another area of where I need to give another piece of my life. Maybe it's a place where I have still been holding on to a little bit that I'm in control of, of, of the giving, but you don't have nothing left to give. Maybe some of you sitting in this room, and I know that this is 90%, this should speak to 90% of any given congregation. A lot of us have never come to the point of where we're really ready to serve the Lord. God has given you everything. He's given you His very self on the cross. And we've kind of become a user. God, I want what you have to offer. But we've never come to a place of where we have began to say, God, I want to serve you. I want to give not only everything that I am, but God, I will serve you in whatever you call of me. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. Maybe there's some of us today that need to surrender to the Lord and say, God, I'm ready to serve. God, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. I've been sitting back. I've been watching. But God, I'm done watching. I'm ready to surrender. And if that's the case, then do it. Push yourself to to that next place okay God here I am use me here I am God send me God use me so many of us are so used to the American lifestyle of God I want to I want to use everything up I'm a user and we use and use and use and God I want everything that you have to offer and he's freely giving but I don't give what I've been freely giving I freely receive, but now I don't want to give it. Guys, there's more to this life than just receiving. Maybe it's time that some of us learn that and that next stage of life.